Blog Talk Radio. God Raffle History. Fuck you like a birthday! To be the man! You gotta beat the man! We'll beat your work for being a little man! Atlanta GA Hotlanta is the Freebird town, man! Thank you! Thank you very, very much. A very spirited crowd here today at the Television Sports Arena. Hey, this is Stoney, and once again, welcome to GWH-TV Talk on the Georgia Wrestling History website. And, of course, we are here just about every Sunday night at 7 o'clock, but you can also catch Tipping Point every other Tuesday, also at 7 p.m. You can catch those at gwhnewsandnotes.blogspot.com, where you can also find dates and results for Southeast Indie events, wrestling history news, and more. And, of course, catch us on this show on Facebook at facebook.com slash gwhtvtalk. So our usual ringleader, Kenny J, is not with us. Um, he's doing the corporate thing. Uh, but of always, we have co-hosting Coach Will Wheeler. What's up? And rock and roll Mike Garrett. Uh, happy Sunday. There you go. And as usual, we are going to kick off with this week's birthday shout-outs. Um, but if you're just, just thinking this is going to be a normal show, stick around because – if you haven't been paying attention, we have an awesome guest tonight, and we're going to bring him on just here in a little bit after our birthdays. But we're going to run through this really quick. No history tonight. Check it out. Tonight, the 24th, well, today, April Hunter, Stephanie McMahon-Hemsley, Chris Nowinski, Gary Valiant, and Shane Knowles. Happy birthdays, all you guys. On the 25th, Jimmy Garvin, hey, 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 Britt Jackson and Bo Oates, on the 28th, GWH's own Dick Steinborn and, of course, Steve Blackman. On the 29th, David San Martino and Casey and Tajiri. And on the 30th, Candice Michelle, Shane Strickland, and Chris Vaughn Eric. And, guys, I have already decided because everybody wants a rich girl for their birthday. This week, birthday lap dances to everyone from Stephanie Mack. So there you go. And so now I am going to send it to Mikey for a quick sneak preview of upcoming shows, GWH TV Talk. Uh, This week, me and my buddy, a fellow friend of tonight's guest and a fellow friend of Will's, um, Mr. Greg Skelly, worked out uh, an appearance coming up Sunday, October 15th as a guest on our show. Um, for those that don't know, he actually runs the Professional Wrestling Historical Society. Uh, you can find the website. You can find him on Facebook by just Googling Professional Wrestling Historical Society. Runs that with uh, Jimmy Wheeler and Terry Kent. Um, Greg is also on the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame Selection Committee. Does a lot of work with them. and They reach out to about a quarter million uh, wrestling fans. So uh, a lot of reach there, and uh, very honored that that guy wants to come on our show and talk a little bit. Um, been honored with all the guests, actually. And uh, so I'm going to go ahead and get to it and send it to Will. But real quick, wanted to say rest in peace, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Um, going to be missed forever. One of the greatest managers of all time. Can't say enough. But uh, get out of the bomb spot. Get up to the highs. I'm going to send it to Will. Will, are you there? I'm right here, my man. Take it away, brother. 
All right. Uh, guest tonight is a kind of needs no introduction. Uh, he is the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller, probably one of the best top promoters, and just the man has the Midas touch. Um, ladies and gentlemen, the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great, Will. Thank you very much for having me on, and I look right. forward to seeing where we're headed tonight. Sounds good. Um, as, I mean, as you know, um, you can go ahead. Um, as you know, um, Ron is all over the uh, podcast world with on many I guess on many shows. Um, tonight we're just going to do th- we do things a little different on the GWH uh, History uh, podcast. We kind of we talk about wrestling, but we kind of branch out into other things like music and sports. But I'm going to do something a little different than uh, <clears throat> everybody else on the podcast world. I've talked with you online before on Facebook about your basketball days, um, you know, did you have any uh, basketball stories? I mean, I got a couple of uh, basketball questions. It's going to be multi-part. Um, pretty much, um, I think I remember you said um, you played against Dave Cowens and Cindy Wicks and various other players, and also you played on uh, against uh, various others. And I uh, actually want to start with um, what got you into basketball? Well, <clears throat> when I was about it, in the 10th grade as a sophomore, I was about uh, six two, uh, but I grew four inches every year for the next three years. So I pumped up there quite a bit, uh, uh, and uh, it, it just seemed like a natural thing to do. I actually played some football uh, early in uh, junior high, but I moved to a small town in Mississippi. My parents, my dad was a wrestler. We moved to a little town called Locust to a little town called Potts Camp, Mississippi, and uh, they only had basketball team. So I had no choice but to play basketball, and I was lucky. I had a great coach, and I was lucky to get tall, and and then I had some success in high school. I did pretty well. Uh, in fact, uh, since you guys are in Georgia there, I was uh, All-State in 1966 in Georgia uh, as a basketball player, and then went to Clemson my freshman year. And transferred to the University of Miami and finished out there and uh, started my wrestling career. Actually, had one year left on my basketball uh, uh, career, and I decided to go ahead and start wrestling. Awesome, awesome. Um, um, just um, the fact that you said the basketball, your stories, um, I'm aware of being, you said you're at All-State. Um, when you played your games in high school, um, did you have any – of any wrestlers attend your games, uh, your brother or your parents or whatever? Uh, no, no, I didn't. Uh, but I had some, uh, I had some great experiences playing basketball, especially in college. Um, really good experiences. Uh, and we played one of the guys you didn't mention. I played was artist Gilmore. Uh, I was playing in 60, I guess this is probably 69, uh, 1969, I think the national champions were UCLA, which I played them out there in Poly Pavilion. And I uh, also played against Artis Gilmore, who played for the University of Jacksonville. And uh, those two teams played in the national championship game, so I played both centers in the national championship game of 69. Uh, obviously, UCLA won. But uh, I'll tell you a story real quickly about uh um, the type of guy my dad was, my dad being a wrestler all his life, and my grandfather was a wrestler. I'm a third-generation wrestler. 
my dad came to a few games uh, my junior and senior year, my last year that I was there, and he saw me play early in the year. I played against Jacksonville University twice because I was University of Miami, so we had an in-state tournament. And and he says, who's that big guy there that has the big afro? And, uh, you know, and I, I told him about him. I said, you know, this guy's one of the better players in college. So the last game of the season and my last college game, because I knew I wasn't going to come back, I knew I was going to start wrestling after it was over, uh, my dad says, uh, look, tonight's going to be your last game. You're going to start wrestling. You've been training really good, and you're getting ready to start. He said, how would you like to make yourself a real big name, uh, get national publicity, have everybody in the country talk about you, and one thing you, only one thing you have to do? And I was like, what in the world are you talking about? He says, all you've got to do, he says, in this game tonight, he says, there'll be a lot of sports people there. He says, just catch uh, Artis Gilmore running down the court toward you and scoop slam him. Pick him up over your head and slam him on the basketball court. And uh, when he first said it, I thought, that's ridiculous. Oh, heck, no, no way. And then the more I thought about it, I said, you know, he may be right. That would be a great way for me to get my career kicked off. And so... I got four or five times in that game. I really, I set up for him at midcourt, and I was thinking, this is it. This is it. This is it. It was. He was like right there, and uh, I decided not to do it. I never did it in the game, but uh, uh, that was my experience with Artis Gilmore. My basketball experiences, playing out there against UCLA, great team, one of the best basketball teams of all time, Sidney Wicks, Curtis Rowe, Henry Bibby. You know, great John Valerie. They had a tremendous basketball team, obviously, won national championship. And uh, we went out there and played them and Pepperdine in uh, one in two nights back to back, and and play in UCLA the second night. So it was a it was an experience. Um, and I always I always enjoyed the basketball. I enjoyed my college career. Uh, I was always a natural heel. I got a suntan in the winter because it was University of Miami, and I was the only one on the team that had a tan, and I would tan all day long. And I would come – when we went to games, if we were playing in Philadelphia, or we were playing in, uh, at the Palestra in Philadelphia, or we were playing uh, uh, in, in Pittsburgh, or, you know, because we were an independent back in those days, we played all over the country. And every time I would come out of the dressing room last and I would just, the crowd would just really get on me right away. Surfer boy, and they'd call me all these names. And and uh, so it was easy for me. If I wanted to create something out there on the floor, a little excitement, it wasn't hard to do. And actually in Jacksonville, the first time I ever played them, I did accidentally. I didn't mean to, but they had had a fight two weeks earlier with a team in which they they uh, they had a lot of problems that made the national headlines across the country. And so we're playing them, and uh, the guard one of their guards got loose, and I was about half court, and I was the last one that had a opportunity to stop him. And they had those old portable goals that had the steel poles in the back uh, and uh, little openings in the front. And this guy got up in the air, and and I was running. I couldn't, I could not try to block his shot, and uh, so I just put a shoulder into him while he was in the air, and he went through those pipes and took a nasty looking bump, you know. And and then 
I I knew that the players had a had a reputation already for being fighters, and I had my back turned to their bench, and I really wasn't. I didn't want to have a problem, but I turned around. I had my my hands up like I was ready for it, and all of that building it was full. It was Jacksonville Coliseum. That building exploded. They and they they came first to go. They threw me out of the game. They set me down on the end of the bench. And they could not get the fans controlled. They kept throwing stuff at me. And finally, they came and took me from the bench back into the dressing room so they could play the game. So I had some wrestling experiences even back in the basketball days, I guess. That's awesome, Ron. That is just awesome. I mean, a scoop slam on Artis Gilmore, who was a eventual basketball Hall of Famer. Um, your dad giving the advice to uh, – Scoop slam at half court. I mean, wow! And you got to compete at UCLA. I'm just, I'm just blown away. I mean, me being a basketball coach myself, uh, I'm just blown away by that. I mean, just that experience um, and all, especially. And I definitely, when you said the tan, I'm gonna tell you right now, Ron. If you were at my games, you would be such, you would be popular at my schools. Um, they would be cheering you on, but our opposing rival schools would probably throw stuff at you. Let's put it that way. The tan would. <laughs> They would be that. But the question I would love to ask is, um, I'm not sure. Did you had you ever had a manager? And if you were to have had a manager, which manager would you have wanted to have? Oh, geez, I never really, I never had a manager. I, I always wanted to do my own talking. I grew up in the wrestling family, and I, I watched my dad. My dad was a pretty darn good wrestler. Uh, in fact, my dad uh, in two different matches. One happens to be in Atlanta. Uh, the first time he wrestled Mario Galento, he wrestled in Mobile, Alabama, in Ladd Stadium. They drew 40,000 people to watch him and Mario Galento, and Joe Lewis was the referee. Uh, in Atlanta in 1966, in the baseball park, the old park, Ponce de Leon, before there was no uh, actual baseball stadium at that time, uh, he wrestled Mario Glento again, and Rocky Marciano was the referee, and they drew over 30,000 people in Atlanta. One of the biggest, maybe the largest crowd ever drawn in Atlanta to this very day. And he, uh, he was uh, quite an influence on me, obviously. My grandfather started wrestling in 1926, and, and had he was a he was had the he trained the first wrestling bear. He was a trendsetter. He did all kinds of crazy things. So I came from a kind of crazy wild family, and and so I, I learned to talk right away. My brother and I started wrestling about the same time. My brother's name is Robert, and obviously he's worked for WCW as uh, Colonel Parker. He's worked for WWE as Tennessee Lee. Uh, fans will probably know him. And we started out about the same time. We always made our own, always made our own interviews. Uh, now, if I was to pick a wrestling manager, that's a good one. Uh, I'd probably make an odd choice. I would take a guy out of East Tennessee that was the one of the, and to me, one of the most remarkable and unforgettable characters in the ring ever. And he's an old East Tennessee boy, and. And uh, he made tremendous interviews. His name was Ron Wright. He made tremendous interviews. Had a great gab. He, had, he really could handle the microphone very well. And he had a penchant for heat. People loved to hate him, 
And hell, I, I even hated him a little bit myself, to be quite honest with you. I mean, he just he just had it, and uh, I thought he would have made a he would probably made a tremendous manager. That's awesome. Uh, I mean, just uh, I mean, I've seen a video. I've looked up. I heard you mention Ron Wright on other things. I looked up a video of Ron Wright, and I looked at him, and I mean, just looking at him from a physical standpoint, I mean, just the memories you've mentioned on your show before about um, how it's so believable. When you looked at Ron, you saw the receding hairline and the glasses, and you picture in the seventies. You're like, man, I would somebody would somebody would look at Ron Wright and say, man, I could this guy. I would want to kick this guy's ass, just the way he looked. But the fact that you said with the heat and just watching him, I'm like, I was blown away. So definitely blown away. Yeah. He's a great talent. He's a great talent uh, and uh, just a tremendous, tremendous guy in the ring, fabulous worker, and and uh, had great experiences with him and, and crazy experiences with him. So, you know, I, I if I had to have, if I had to, to have had a manager – I think it would have probably been Ron Wright. All right. Um, we at the start of the show we uh, we we gave a uh, rest in peace uh, tribute to Bobby Heenan. Had you worked with Bobby and had ever met Bobby in any uh, capacity? Yes, uh, I never worked with Bobby, uh, but Bobby was in Florida. I was in Florida from 1970 to 74. Uh, that's where I really learned learned my skills, and uh, Bobby came through there. Everybody came through there during that four-year period of time, and some of the greatest wrestlers uh, of all time were there. I had the opportunity, thank goodness, to wrestle a bunch of them. You know, every, every anybody from uh, Johnny Valentine to Buddy Colt to uh, Bobby Shane, uh, Paul Jones. Uh, I mean, it was just it was just a litany of of great talent that came through there. Uh, Bill Watts. I mean, it just it went on and on and on, and and it was a it was a real privilege to be in that in that uh, in that Florida territory, and and Bobby was there. He just came through. Uh, I don't think he even uh, to be honest, we managed anybody that night. He was there. Uh, lots of times when you were wrestling in Florida, you had wrestlers in other parts of the country, particularly in the north. That in the winter time were freezing their butts off, and they they would uh, they would show up in the building unannounced. Uh, they wouldn't be on the card, but they would know the matches were being held, and they would come year after year. Sometimes same guys, sometimes different guys. But there was a lot of great names that came through there that didn't actually uh, show their skills, and uh, that's the case with Bobby. He did not manage anybody at that time. And he just, uh, you know, shook hands. I met him. I kind of knew who he was. And um, we got to be pretty decent friends. And, you know, Bobby's a great, tremendous, tremendous manager. Oh, yes, that's that's great. I mean, I'm just, it's just, I've, I've listened to you and your stories, and I've got all these things that come to mind. Um, another one I definitely want to ask is, uh got to ask about Fritz Von Erich. And did you work with him or did a one-shot? And what was it? Uh, yeah, I worked with Fritz, uh, and uh, I think it was in St. Louis. It's been a long, long time ago, way, way back. Um, my dad, I have more memorable matches with my dad and Fritz because they were pretty much the same age. Uh, when I worked with Fritz, I'd been wrestling about three years, and uh, 
Fritz was obviously a star. He'd been around for a long, long time. Uh, and uh, it was a pleasure to work with a guy like that. Uh, he was big, uh, and I'm 6'9". At that time, I was 6'9", about 265, 270. And he was he was a good fit for me. So uh, we had a good match. Uh, I only worked with him once. I think it was St. Louis. might have been for the Missouri Championship. I don't know whether it was or not, I can't remember that, because I worked in St. Louis on and off for two years, 73, 74, just about every other Friday when they ran matches, I was somewhere on those cards. That's, that's, that's great, uh, Fritz. I mean, his reputation is tremendous, uh, that distinguished voice in interviews, but that's awesome. Uh, and I'm sure when he was wrestling, he was probably getting the boys ready to wrestle with uh, – Kerry, Kevin, and David. Um, another question, because back in the territory days, it's just got me so excited, is um, I think you may have mentioned Don Owen. Uh, had you worked with Don Owen? I never worked with Don, but I was tremendous friends with Roddy. Uh, Roddy was Roddy Piper, one of the biggest uh, stars that Don ever had, I guess. And, uh, and Lynn Denton. Uh, the, I knew the, some of his guys out there on the West Coast, and uh, I'd, I'd wrestled uh, on a card with Lynn Denton, uh, and I'd wrestled many times on the card with Roddy. I never actually worked with Roddy, but uh, I used to work a lot uh, in the Omni back in the day, and uh, Bob Armstrong worked with Roddy. Mm-hmm. Bob Armstrong and I were very close friends. Uh, Bob worked with Roddy probably three or four times uh, in the summer of, I'm going to guess it was the summer of 84 maybe. Uh, uh, so, you know, I have some I have some knowledge of what goes on on the West Coast. I know that Don uh, Don was there and, and running business and, and, and did it obviously a damn good job of it. Uh, I know people south of him, uh, Roy Shires and San Francisco and, uh, my knowledge of old-time promoters is is pretty pretty large because I was a member of the National Wrestling Alliance. I was the youngest wrestling promoter uh, in 1975 to ever to ever have a, a a membership in the National Wrestling Alliance, and and I get to meet them all, and and a lot of those guys weren't just promoters; they were stars, and the, before they became promoters, and. It was quite a quite an honor to be sitting in a room uh, back in the National Wrestling Alliance meeting days in Los Angeles. I mean Las Vegas, and and just looking around the room at, at all the big names that were there. Uh, it was a it was a real honor to be a part of that organization. It was a great organization, and and I was uh, lucky enough to be the youngest to ever get in and actually in 1985 I was elected vice president of the National Wrestling Alliance so at at an early age I was about 35 30 30 32 maybe 32 years old and uh and been selected as vice president which was a real honor because most of those guys were older guys you were definitely a prodigy there uh Ron uh I mean, in the early 30s, getting in, um, elected as a vice president of the NWA with the promoters uh, alongside Roy Shire, Sam Munchnick, a Bob Geigel, any of those guys. Um, just, just amazing. And uh, one thing I definitely want to get into, and I think you may have mentioned in your, your previous podcast, uh, I got to go, go with this one. 
I'm gonna let I'm gonna go with the uh fat I'm gonna go with a fat curveball over the plate with this one. Uh Vince Senior. Gotta go with that. I'm just curious about Vince. Vince Senior? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Vince Senior, yes. Yes, I knew Vince Senior uh pretty well, actually. Uh and it's odd how I met Vince Senior, but uh Vince Senior used to come to the National Wrestling Alliance meetings. Uh, so did uh, Vern Gagne. Vern Gagne was not a member, nor was Vince Senior. But the National Wrestling Alliance people were—they—they—they they, they welcomed everybody. If you were a wrestling promoter and you came from Mexico, or they came from everywhere. They came from Australia. They came from two organizations from Japan. Uh, it was Germany. I mean, uh, England. Everybody was represented. And it was a—it was quite an honor to be a part of all that. And uh, yeah, uh, I re- I remember uh, senior uh, Eddie Graham. Eddie Graham was very very close to uh, Vince Senior and had worked for him. Him and uh, Jerry Graham were big huge tag team for uh, for Vince Senior in New York for I, I don't know considerable length of time. And they kept the relationship over the years. And when I was wrestling in the seventies in Florida. Eddie was doing business with Vince. Vince Sr. had two television stations in New York City that wanted wrestling very badly. He was on one, but he didn't want somebody else to compete with him and get on the other station. And he came to Eddie and said, you have the best wrestling program in America, and, and I trust you, and I would like to put your program on in New York City. Uh, this was probably 1973, uh, and Eddie Eddie put the show on there. And w- so Vince Vince uh, Senior saw the saw the uh, saw the talent that came out of Florida, and it was it was better than his talent, to be honest. In my opinion, I mean, he had the really big guys. He had the Gorilla Monsoon, and he had he had uh, the huge guys. But he didn't have guys that could move and that could work. He had a different style of, of wrestler that he liked uh, this, and to what Eddie, Eddie had. But he, he realized that, that we were getting over there big time. And I remember he started to book guys. He would ask for guys from, from the territory, and they would tell you. Like, I remember going in one Monday and getting my bookings for that week, and uh, they said, uh, uh, next Monday, you're in Madison Square Garden, New York. And and it wasn't unusual. I was sent to Philadelphia to work the Spectrum. Um, so I had done shows for him up there. And every time I went, I, I, I shook hands with him. I had conversations with him. He knew me from the National Wrestling Alliance meetings, and I knew him as well from those meetings. And Vince, Vince, I was very – Vince was a very respectful guy. Vince Senior, uh, and I really admired him. Obviously, he was successful, and uh, he just had a little different way of doing business. But the end of that little story I'm telling is that they booked me that night, and I went out there expecting no one to know who I was. And when I came through the entrance into the main floor of the garden, uh, there was a roar. It was like, I was like, wow, how do they know me? And then, you know, I got to thinking, well, they've been using this TV up here for months and months and months. So what happened is Vince started taking these Florida guys 
and they were starting to become bigger stars than his own guys, Vince got scared. He could see that if Eddie really wanted to compete with him and maybe try to take his business and take his territory, that uh, he probably had the talent and the, and the television program and he had Gordon Soley doing the commentary. It was the best wrestling product in America at that time. And uh, Vince jerked it off. He said, uh, Eddie, I don't want to put you on here anymore. And uh, and we disappeared from the Northeast up there, the Florida guys. But we had our run through there, and I got the same thing. I asked guys like Jack Briscoe went in there and uh, lots of big stars. Don Morocco was there. was a pretty darn good big star at one time. Uh, Dusty go up there, and, uh, and Dick Murdoch would go in there. And guys out of the Florida Territory, and and they become stars, and uh, it just get, it kind of scared it's kind of scared Vince, and Vince pulled the pulled the program. So that's my experience with Senior. I have no experience with Junior at all. I have never met Junior, um, but Senior, I, I had a, I had a somewhat personal relationship with Senior. He certainly knew who I was, and he knew what I did, and and uh, and hopefully he had some respect for me as well. That's awesome. I mean, just the just working with Vince Senior and just the fact that Vince acknowledged the success of Florida and just the talent alone. We you said the names of the funk. We said Jack Briscoe and you said Dick Murdoch and Dusty Rhodes. Um, that just was awesome in itself, right there. Um, and I do remember um, you had told one story of your time in the Bahamas with uh, Dusty Rhodes and Dick Murdoch. Had you met them prior to that? Tag match, and what were they? Oh, yeah. oh yeah, Dusty and Dick Murdoch. Well, they were a fabulous team for one thing. They were two big old West Texan boys, and uh, and they were bad dudes too. They could handle themselves. Uh, if they had a problem in the bar or outside the ring, it was no problem. You know, they they were uh, they were real talents and uh, and and loved to have a good time. They were partiers and they liked to play. They liked to do stuff and. Uh, yeah, I worked with them uh, many times in the Bahamas. Uh, finally, closed the Bahamas down. Basically, they they uh, we had a match in the Bahamas in which they decided that they were going to close the Bahamas because we didn't like going there. It was an outside facility. It was dangerous. People would throw rocks from outside the facility that would come over inside. And uh, you'd see people in the crowd get hit in the head with a rock. Uh, one time it happened to a guy who was in the main event, and they were introducing him. He got hit in the head. He went down on his face. He was a baby face. They covered him. Uh, he said, actually, the referee said to the heel, he says he was out cold. And he said he rolled him over on his back. And he told the, the, <laughs> the heel, he said, cover him. And he also said, said, no, no, because if you won a match in the Bahamas and you were a heel, you probably weren't going to live to get to the dressing room. And everybody knew that. So, you know, it was a strange, strange place to work. And they decided they were going to kill it, kill the town. And, and I was wrestling in a match against them that night, me and Danny Miller. And they never talked to me about anything. I didn't know what was going on. I was young. It was my first year in the business, and I was lucky to be working with guys like that. And I remember they got some heat, whatever it was. I got a hot tag. I went into the ring, and I went after and I think it was Dusty. And it might have been Murdoch. And uh, 
and he 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 ran into the corner and he threw his leg over like he had an imaginary motorcycle underneath him, and he he he, he pulled he t- twisted his wrist like he's giving her the gas, and he started running the circle around me like he was riding a motor motorcycle around me, and I stood there I didn't know what to do I'd never seen anything like that, and he just ran he probably went three times around me. The fans are all out there. They're all quiet. They don't know what the hell this is all about. And then he gets, he goes, and then he falls straight back on his back, and and Dusty's in the corner. And I'm standing there. I haven't moved. I'm still standing in the middle of the ring, and now Murdoch's laying on his back in Dusty's corner. And Dusty says, he screams at me. He goes, hey, ignorant, cover him. He's out of gas. And I was like, are you kidding me? So I looked at the referee. The referee was Stu Swartz. He was an old-timer. He said, cover him. <laughs> so I covered him. He counted him out. And that was the last match I think they ever had in the Bahamas. It was like a kill-the-town match. It was like, whoa, it was really, really something. But those guys were those guys were great to work with and uh, so talented, both of them. That's great. I mean, Burdock and Rose, I mean, that, I'm sure that right there, you being green in the business, was definitely a wealth of information right there. And, I mean, from your background, you had a wealth, tons of information. But um, I want to go back to earlier, and I'm going to kind of lead into referees. And uh, first off, I want to start with how were y'all able to – how was your, um, your dad able to get Rocky Marciano and Joe Lewis to rep the match with him and Mario Galento? I would love to know that story. My dad, my dad had tremendous connections. My dad was very well respected. Uh, my dad was an old shooter, and my granddad was a shooter too. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Luthez was friends with those guys, uh, and Lou was great friends with my dad. Lou was a friend of mine. I wrestled Lou myself several times, and and Lou, uh, Lou turned him on to to dad, and dad, you know, wanted to draw. He, you know, he already had a great talent in Mario Galento. I don't know if people will really remember him, but he was here and ended up, ended up doing movies. He had long black hair. He was in great shape. He had a rugged face because he got his eyes busted hard way night after night after night. Sometimes he wouldn't sew them up, so he had these huge scars over his eyes. And then, you know, around his cheeks where he'd been busted hard ways before. And he was a great worker, great talker. And dad and him uh, wrestled, like I said, in 59 in Mobile, 40,000 people in 66 in Atlanta with uh, with Rocky Marciano. And uh, his crowd was over 30,000. I don't remember the exact figure, but it was a, it was a massive crowd. And uh, it just... Uh, he he had to, he knew these guys and and they you know they had their boxing careers and when their careers were over they're like uh, wrestlers and boxers and and those independent type athletes is what I call them those guys that that have to depend on themselves uh, they they spent them a lot of money and and then their careers ended and they had no more fights they were too old to fight they needed to make money. And uh, Dad, I guess, probably paid him a pretty good paycheck for coming in there and refereeing. And I remember the Atlanta match. I watched myself, uh, 
uh, Marciano in the end of the match, Mon, uh, uh, Galento had been shoving Marciano around like he wanted Marciano to take a shot at him. And uh, I was a big kid. I was 15 years old watching this match. And, and I'm thinking, how stupid is Galento? And they, in the end of the match, I think uh, Marciano got really pissed at him. And, and he actually, uh, he ended up with a, <laughs> he dead ended up full Nelson and Galento. And Marciano knocked him out. And he put him down. Wow, it was a hell of a shot. Bang, down he went face first. He, the dad rolled him over and covered him, and they counted Glento out. Uh, wasn't the type of uh, end of the match that people had expected, but it was uh, shit that went crazy. It was amazing. It was wonderful. And, uh, I mean, continuing with referees, um, I know they're a big part of the, the matches and all, but I mean, you had mentioned uh, an old timer named Stu Sh- uh, Shorts earlier. What were some great referees, and who did you like working with the most in terms of referees in your matches? There were, there were. I mean, obviously, there were referees, uh, great referees all over the world. Uh, used to be a referee in Japan named Jojo. I loved him. Uh, uh, he could speak a little bit of English, and that was unusual. When you went to Japan and wrestled, it was, you didn't find anybody that spoke English, and JoJo could talk a little bit of English. And I was able to tell him things, and I was able to do things with him that you'd do with a normal referee that uh, you sure couldn't do with the other Japanese referees. Uh, he was always popular with me. Uh, I liked a guy like Ronnie West, who was a great referee, uh, refereed a lot in Atlanta. Uh, oh, gosh, you've got a great re- referee right there, and his name is not going to escape me here. Uh, uh, um, and uh, Josh, I can't think of his name right now, but uh, he's out of Atlanta, been there for many. Charlie Smith. Charlie Smith refereed probably from the 50s on into the 60s, maybe even into the 70s in Atlanta. In fact, I'm sure it was into the 70s in Atlanta was a tremendous referee uh, and a great friend. Every time I run into him, I mean, we hug each other. He's a great, great guy. Uh, there's been just a, a number of, of, of great referees that – that uh, and, and referee is an important man in a wrestling match. Uh, he can – he has a lot to do with the intricacies of making it happen. And uh, he's an important guy. And I wish I could think of more names off the top of my head, but those two guys in particular, uh, Tommy Withers, there's another one uh, who's out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, wrestled a lot of times in Tennessee and up through me, Uh, uh, Mac Murray, a guy that refereed for me in Southeastern Wrestling out of Knoxville the entire time I was there, went with me from Florida. Uh, to Knoxville to start my Southeastern Wrestling business, my first company, and refereed for me the entire time I was there. Tremendous referee, and uh, would give up his, his his booty literally for me. He used to I used to have a lot of heat when I was there, and he would follow me to the dressing room. The cops would lead, and he would he would take my back. And I remember one night and. The old Jacobs building in Knoxville, probably 5,000 people in a building made for three. It was just crammed and fighting my way up the stairs to make it to the dressing room. And he got stabbed in the ass. 
It, st- it stuck in his butt so bad that when we got in the dressing room, the knife was still sticking out of his rear end. And uh, so I, I got to mention him because, you know, that's that's like giving up your butt for somebody. That's really a tough deal, man, where, where you get stabbed in the rear. Yeah, and I mean, when you, speaking on that, that can lead into my next uh, question. I know what you said you would um, – we had you had trouble getting out, and you had to have Matt Murray get stabbed in the ass. Um, right? I mean, it's just the heat, fans, the heat and the intensity of the fans back in the '60s and '70s and all that. Um, I know I've heard time and time again with riots, um, fan riots. Is there how many? Is there any particular riots that stand out that you were involved in, or you had to help others get the hell out of? By chance. Oh my yes, God! Uh, I could do I could do three stud casts. I could do five stud casts on just rides. Uh, I've seen everything in just about every part of the world. Uh, one of the worst I ever saw, and this was an unusual one, was in San Juan, Puerto Rico, in nineteen probably seventy three. It was Dale Lewis, uh, who was a great Olympic wrestler and. And when you wrestled in San Juan, you, it was in a baseball stadium called Hiram Bithorn. It was a huge baseball stadium. Baseball was very popular in Puerto Rico. And we would go in there every other Saturday night out of Tampa. We'd fly, fly us down there, and we would draw 25, 30,000 people on Saturday nights in San Juan. And they were craziest fans on earth. You had the basketball, I mean, the uh, net for baseball to keep foul balls from hitting fans, but the nets only went down so far on each of the baselines, and where the net ended, the, the the heel had to leave the ring and walk to to the where the net ended, and then the dugout was ahead of him, maybe a hundred feet, maybe a hundred and fifty feet. The heels would walk very slowly till they knew right where the people could start hitting them with stuff. The fans would throw rocks, they would throw boards, they would throw knives, they would throw whatever they could find. And one night, Dale came out, and and uh, for some reason, he got to the spot where he needed to run, and he he didn't run fast enough. He just started out slowly, and they were pelting him with all the stuff. And I was a young guy. I would not been in business very long, and we're, there were some baby faces there watching the match. And then the heels, luckily, were watching, too, on the other side. And and they started, two guys jumped off on the top of the dugout. And, and, and now he's running to the dugout. Once he makes it to the dugout, he's basically safe. He's, he's fine. But he got halfway there, and two guys got out. He slowed up a little bit. Five or ten more jumped out, then 20 more. Now the top of the dugout's full of guys. And and he panics, you because know, he can't fight his way through 40, 40 guys. So he's now on like the third baseline of this baseball stadium, and he's posted that dugout, and he takes off running. <laughs> he runs out toward the right field line to the fence, the home run fence out there, the ballpark. And the crowd now, instead of just being 20, 2,000 or 3,000 of them jump off of the out of the stands and off of that dugout, the top of that dugout, and now he has a swarm of 3,000 people chasing him. And he goes to the right field line to the center field wall, 
he makes a left and he goes out in the center field and the crowd instead of cutting across and cutting off his path they were like it was like a cartoon almost when you're watching from the my dugout the that the crowd followed him all the way to where he turned left and then the whole crowd turned left and they followed him to center field and then he made another little left over to the left field line and then he started then the fight had to make now they had cut him off by then so both dressing rooms both dressing rooms emptied and went after him went to save him uh there was probably i guess maybe 14 guys on the card i'd say 10 of them were on the field fighting and and you didn't you didn't ask questions you didn't introduce yourself you just went to save the guy's life and you just knocked people out. I mean, you you did whatever you needed to do to get to where he was and then to get hold of him and to fight with him back to the dressing room. So we fought him back to the dressing room, and I remember going back after he got in the dressing room, I went back out and looked out of the dugout, underneath the dugout, and looked at the field. And I, I, I'm going to guess there were probably 300 bodies down out there in that field that we had knocked out. Guys had knocked out, kicked them in the head, whatever it was. Uh, it was a pretty pretty uh, scary scene. Uh, and that was a very dangerous town to work in. There were a lot of dangerous cities that that just really scared the heck out of hills. Uh, they had a reputation uh, as being a bad place to work and and you really had to watch out for guys. They were, you had to watch out for not only the guys you were wrestling with, but the guys you were wrestling against. And it was it was a it was an experience. That's probably one of them. I was actually cut the worst ride I was ever in in my life. I was actually cut twice on the arm, hit in the head from behind by a chair. Uh, I had had. Uh, I had to fight my way to the dressing room. David Schultz and I fought our way to the dressing room in Panama City, Florida. And we came through the dressing room door. The the heels came to save us. And there was another one of those scenes where I opened the door later and looked out there, and the bodies were just laying all the way. And there was just a mass of bodies between the ring and the dressing room. But when we came through the dressing room door, I was the last guy through the door. And before I could close the door, seven open knives came flying through the door and bounced off the wall and and slides across the dressing room floor. I mean, they were out to kill you, and uh, and they'd cut me twice already. Uh, so I spent part of my night getting sewed up in the arm and the head and everywhere else. So, you know, it's a it was a dangerous sport. My dad got cut in Atlanta. 45 stitches inside and out, uh, uh, cut, uh, stabbed actually, and then cut one with him when he stuck the knife in and he pulled it too. So, I mean, it's, you know, it was a dangerous business. Wow, that just, uh, that's phenomenal. I mean, just the intensity of those riots and all. And me, um, I'm kind of spoiled being in the 80s and all that, but it's just visualizing those times. It just makes me see that visual, and I think I remember my dad, he used to go to the belt matches in Augusta, and he'd tell me the crazy stories, and he actually, there was one time he actually drag raced Buddy Roberts one time after a show, surprisingly, and it was the most funny, right. the darndest, he told me that story, but speaking of 
the old names. Uh, I'm gonna, I got to go with. Um, we, we talked about Don. We talked about Fritz earlier, but I just really Vern Gagne. Got to know about Vern. What you what it was like working with him, and how many shots did you have with Vern? Working with Vern. Well, Vern, obviously, he's way up there in the northeast. He's in Minneapolis, and I'm an old southern boy, and I like to stay where it was warm. So I didn't I didn't want to go north unless I had to. I used to do a lot of St. Louis shows. That was about as far north as I wanted to go. But I knew of Vern, and as it turns out, toward the end of my career when Vince Jr. was getting started and taking over businesses and buying talent, from underneath you and bringing them back in to compete against you and all those things were going on. Vince and I got to be pretty close friends. Vince, I had, I was still, I had a continental wrestling, uh, which was a, one of the largest, it was about the fifth largest wrestling company in the world at one time. And, uh, that was my, my business at that time. Uh, we ran a great deal of the Southern States and around the South and Vern obviously ran the AWA territory from Minneapolis to Denver and, and most places, all but all the places in between. Uh, so, and there was another promoter on the west side of Tennessee named Jerry Jarrett, and his he worked out of Nashville, uh, Memphis, uh, Louisville, uh, were his areas. Uh, Fritz was still trying to stay in business, and the five of us uh, sat down and talked about how we could help each other and how we could compete. And I would, I'd been in, I'd been wrestling for 20 years. I had established and built four wrestling companies, and all of them luckily were successful. And I'd had a good run, and I, I could see the writing on the wall. When you have a national television program and and, and uh, that type of exposure nationwide. You're, it's going to put you in a position to put others out of business, and, and that's what Vince did. It's, uh, it's, uh, I guess that was his what he wanted to do. He wanted to own it all, and uh, that's what eventually happened. But my experience with Vern was, was in those meetings, and, and then I did wrestle with his son, Greg, and, and, uh, and I played a basketball game. Now we're back to basketball again, but there was a basketball game in St. Louis. Sam Muchnick was the promoter. Sam Lewis, Sam, Sam had a challenge from the media. There was a and a bunch of stars, local stars, and and uh, to have a basketball game for charity. So Sam booked me. He booked uh, Big Bad John, who was about six eight. He booked uh, he booked Greg Gagne on that show. He booked uh, I can't remember. It was it was six or eight of us that. We played basketball uh, in in a, in a big charity show in in Kiel, big building. You know, Kiel was where you wrestled, and it, it probably held twelve, fourteen thousand, I would say. Drew a huge crowd. We gave the money to charity, and and we we just wiped them off the map. It was almost embarrassing. In fact, uh, Sam told me, he said, Ron, I'm going to take you out because you're killing them and you're, and it's going to embarrass them. I'm afraid I'm going to have enemies after this. If, if you stay in, you're just, uh, you're just scoring so many points that, you know, I won't take you out. So he set me for most of the last, the second half of the game, and uh, the guys that still didn't, the guys that were playing were still much better than than the celebrities that we were playing against. So, we, so it didn't do much to to stop their humiliation. But 
Uh, it was at least his attempt. And so, yeah, that's my experience with Vern and with Greg. Oh, okay, cool. And just when you said that celebrity basketball game, it reminded me of a game of three years ago I was coaching on the bench being an assistant coach. We played a school called McCormick High, and it was me and the head coach. I did team stats. The head coach, me and the head coach are like arguing. We hadn't scored yet, so it just reminded me of that moment. And I said, such and such hadn't scored yet. And then coach, I said, I'm putting him in the game. He goes, okay. But um, since we're on the line of Sam Munch, uh, Nick, um, Bob Geigel, since we're, we're, we did the burn, we went to, you mentioned Sam Munch. What was Bob Geigel like? Bob Geigel was a great guy. Uh, Bob, Sam's town was, was St. Louis, always was his, his, and he was the president of the National Wrestling Alliance for gosh, I, it seemed like to me for for, 20, for 30 years, you know, he was he was a fixture there. Bob Geigel was from Kansas City and ran that Kansas City territory. Uh, guys from Bob's territory would go in and work for Sam. But Sam was an unusual promoter. Bob uh, Bob was a great wrestler during his time, and he was kind of before me. I never really wrestled with Bob, but I met Bob, and obviously he was an NWA member. And and you know you 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 part you partied with those guys, and you had dinner with those guys, and you spent time with those guys in meetings, and you developed some type of relationship with most of them. And Bob was a great guy. I very had a lot of respect for Bob Geigel, and. And I had a tremendous amount of respect, obviously, for for Sam Muchnick. And uh, uh, Muchnick, Muchnick had he ran his town totally different than most towns in the country. Sam had such con, such a relationship with so many great wrestlers that he his cards were the best cards maybe in America. Uh, and when I look back at some of those cards I worked on there for a two-year period of time, you would see the biggest names in wrestling, and you never knew who you were going to see. It was never the same people. He liked me, and he booked me regularly for almost two years. But in most cases, you didn't work in St. Louis, but maybe once or twice a year. Uh, and, and when I would go in there, I would take the program when I got in the dressing room and I'd look at it and I'd be like, wow, I was like a big mark. I was like, oh, gosh, look, here's so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And uh, and sometimes it was me getting to work with them. It was a great experience for me. And I just remember going in dressing rooms. It was a big old building, the old Keel Auditorium, and they had several different dressing rooms. And you would go from one dressing room to another uh, most guys had their own dressing rooms. They had so many rooms in that in that big building, and and just shaking hands with people, and it was it was a tremendous experience. Uh, that Bob Geigel related, he was involved. Uh, he sent some of his talent there, but Sam, most of his talent came. He picked his own, picked and choose who he wanted to be in St. Louis. And when you were young, at my age, I'd been in the business about three years when I first started going to St. Louis. When you started making St. Louis, that was a sign that you were becoming a star. And uh, people people recognized you around the world because wrestling magazines were big back in those days. And St. Louis was one of the best spots. If you were a wrestling magazine person and writing articles, you wanted to be in St. Louis because everybody's going to be there. That's amazing. I mean, just... Um... Just the, just the fact that Munchnick and Geigel and all of that, and just the 
the talent that came out of the Central States. I mean, <clears throat> the names you mentioned that would be on the card, who you wrestling and all that, um, which kind of leads into uh, next person I'd love to um, hear about is uh, this. We've already mentioned much chat, and that's just kind of a recurring theme here. Uh, got to hear about got Harley Race. Got to know about your take on Harley Race, oh, Ron. God, I love Harley Race. Harley Race is one of the best champions of all time, in my opinion. Uh, Harley and I were gosh, really, really close friends. Uh, Harley liked like working with me, and I loved working with Harley, and we had some phenomenal matches. The first time I ever worked with Harley was in uh, Miami in 1973. I'd been wrestling for three years, and I didn't know I was wrestling Harley, and I'd go to the beach. I went to the gym. Then I went to the beach. I did some body surfing, uh, and I got dressed, and I drove from West Palm Beach where I lived to Miami, and I didn't know who I was working with, and I got there, and I found a program. I asked a referee, I said, who am I working with? And they said, Harley Race. And I knew his reputation, but I'd never met him, and I'd never worked with him. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I knew I was going to – I was in for a long night because he was a grinder, and and he he did some tremendous stuff in the ring – and and that night he headbutted me off the top rope. He would do that. He would suplex you or set you up with a body slam, and climb that top rope and come off there like a torpedo with his hands at his side, and uh, plant that head between your between the side of your head and your shoulder. And it was I watched it the first time he ever did it to me. I, I didn't know what he was what it was what it was going to look like to see somebody coming like that so i watched him all the way from the top rope all the way into the side of my head it was like harley was a tremendous tremendous athlete tremendous worker uh and uh and a hell of a guy he was a really really nice guy too and he came and worked for me a lot and when i had my company southeastern wrestling in fact uh, he and I have the record to this very day. We wrestled in 76 and 77 in the biggest building in Knoxville at that time, the Knoxville Coliseum. We still hold the record for the two biggest event wrestling sports events in the history of that building. Uh, and it was like a 9,000-seat arena, and we actually put 11,000 people in a 9,000-seat arena two years in a row. Uh, one match was a world championship match, went an hour and five minutes, uh, and the second one was a Texas death match in which Harley took the the most awesome bump I have ever seen. I don't know how anybody would ever be able to duplicate it except for Harley. And and in that match, he set me up on the end of the match. It was a Texas death match. We'd probably had... 30 falls and no winner. And he set me up. He actually got out on the apron of the ring. He drug me out on the apron and he slammed me on the announcer's table. The announcers all ran. They jerked the bell out of the way, thank goodness. And he slammed me on the announcer's table. He went up on the top rope where, where I was close to the table. And he came off of there to hit, to hit me with that headbutt laying on that table 
And I saw him coming this time, and I was ready for him. And uh, I just rolled off into the floor, and he went through head first through that table, and it it was it wasn't like the table deals that they do nowadays. It the table broke in half, and it and then it and it just closed on him, and all that was sticking out was his feet. Uh, from his knees up were sticking out of the table. You couldn't see any other parts of his body. I thought it killed him. I watched it. I was right there next to it, and I heard the impact. I watched it happen. I was like, he'll not get up. He's not getting up. Well, he didn't get up, thank goodness. I think I won that Texas death match right there. But uh, it was one of the most awesome bumps I ever saw as as a wrestler. That's amazing. Um, that's amazing. And since you mentioned Knoxville, uh, a thing about me is um, I will ask you: Did y'all did you ever put on any cars in Bristol, Tennessee, by chance? Yeah, yeah. We used to wrestle every once in a while. We would wrestle in the Bristol High School, uh, right there on the on the line. The building half of it set in Virginia, and the other half of it set in Tennessee. Um, and there's three cities up there. That's called the Tri Cities. You got Kingsport, Johnson City, and Bristol, Tennessee. And we ran in Johnson City every Tuesday night, uh, and then every once in a while we would go to Kingsport on a Saturday. They had a big gym called Dobbins Bennett, probably held. It's a high school gym that probably held five thousand, six thousand people. Uh, and then once every, maybe once, maybe twice a year, we would go to uh, Bristol and Bristol High School, which is another big gym. Gymnasiums were big up there in the state of Tennessee, and they would hold a lot of people. So, yeah, I'm familiar with the Bristol area. That's beautiful country. I call all of that East Tennessee, the side of East Tennessee, the Smoky Mountains National Park, all that stuff, Knoxville, all the way to the the Virginia line, and, you know, I call it God's country. It's just really beautiful place to live, beautiful country. And just like you had that experience, and I just wanted to bring that up because just like you experienced the Knoxville uh, area in East Tennessee, I had the opportunity to participate in two basketball tournaments, one as a trainer in high school and one in my coaching career. So it was quite an awesome experience. Uh and what you had mentioned was the Bristol uh, gym. <clears throat> my school I, put my, I was a trainer for, we played at that um, particular gym back in uh, 94 and won the Arby's Classic in that gym. So and I think I may, and when you, well, the reason I was, we kept going on East Tennessee, and I think I remember correctly, I may have seen one of your pictures in that gym. <laughs> that would be something. I wouldn't doubt yeah. it. I mean, you know, we, 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 you know, back in those days, and we were stars. I mean, you couldn't go anywhere. You could not stop and eat food in a restaurant. Uh, you couldn't buy gas. Uh, you got recognized pretty much everywhere you went. People loved their wrestling up there, and and we had a great product for them. We we gave them one of the best best shows in America uh, for a small we were for a small wrestling territory that didn't encompass a lot of area and a lot of big cities. We had probably the best talent in the history of wrestling, maybe. Uh, and we went through that part of the country and, and really uh, 
really shook it up. They were they were they were huge wrestling fans, and uh, they might have had pictures of me in the gym. I I don't doubt that at all. Uh, and it might have been during no telling. Might have been with a match with Ron Wright since we brought him up earlier. Could be some of those matches. I used to wrestle him a lot because he was from Kingsport, one of those cities. And if I remember correctly, I think you might have been next to you might have been next to a picture of Kenny Rogers. And I may have seen Ron Wright. He might have been next to a picture of Dolly Parton. I don't know, but y'all y'all were along some. If I remember correctly, in that gym, y'all were along some uh, big ones. And did that gym happen to have a stage by chance in the gym? Yeah, yeah, it did. And I think it's now Tennessee High School. Yeah, it may have changed names, and I haven't been back there since uh, since in the 80s. But it was a huge gym. It was a nice-sized gym, uh, nice old structure, old brick structure, as I remember. And uh, it's uh, it's it's great to great to wrestle in some of those places. And you you'd go there, and and people would be lined up. It was unbelievable how popular it was at that time that people would be lined up. Uh, they'd be lines five wide, and they would be two blocks long. And you would pull up there 45 minutes before starting time, and you couldn't see the end of that line of people trying to buy tickets. Lots of times they, they wouldn't all get in there. They would, the building would they'd shut them. The fire marshals would close them down. And hey, you talk about rocking and rolling and and getting some big pops back in those days. I mean, those people, they would they would cheer with you and they would cut you too. They would cut you and hit you with a chair and they they would shoot you. I had a guy tried to shoot me in Knoxville, and I saw it coming and hit his arm and he shot himself in the leg. Uh, so you know they'll kill you there if they could. They were in their wrestling was a serious matter. Oh man, that's 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 just that's awesome. Uh, I don't know. I, I think I made a comment to you a while back about my great grandparents used to watch the Georgia Times. Um, I don't know if my great grandmother ever went to a match. But I'm gonna tell you, she probably would have had a hat pin ready to stab heels. She might have been a yeah. burn proper run, but she probably would be. She probably had the hat pin ready. Yeah, my grandmother did that. My grandmother, my grandfather Roy, wrestled uh, back from the 20s all the way into the 50s, and uh, she would go. He had to quit taking her, and and she used to stick her hat pin in guys, uh, and he would just he would go crazy. He would say, "Hey, was that? I saw you. Were you down there at the ring? Yes, I was, and I stuck my hat pin." He would. She would brag about it. Uh, I remember one story about he she had stabbed a guy with her hat pin, stuck it in all the way to the little ball on the top of it uh, in his leg, and and he he went to the dressing room. He got a real good look at her. He came back the next week. They had no television back in those days. It was before television, and he came back. He went to the ring. He was supposed to wrestle Roy again. And he went to the ring, and he got the microphone, and he says, uh, last week there was a crazy woman in the crowd, and she stabbed me with a hat pin. And he goes, I know what she looks like. And he says, I'm going to take my time and 
and and I'm going to look at the face of as many and every one of the women in this crowd, and if she's here, I'm going to the dress room. I will not wrestle. And so my granddad had kind of thought maybe something like that would happen. He said, now, don't you sit down close tonight. You sit up in the top of the building. Maybe he was trying to keep her from getting down there and stabbing him again. Anyway, the guy looks around. He slowly surveys the entire crowd, and he spots her up in the top of the building. And he gets his towel, and he goes to the dressing room. And so they, my, my grandpa, he was running the business, and he was in the main event. He sent the police. He said, there she is. Go get that lady and put her out. He didn't say, that's my wife. He said, go get that woman and throw her out so we can have a match. And they took her and put her out. She sat in the car, I guess, the rest of the night. And so they had the match. So hat pins, I'm fairly familiar with that stuff, too. Wow, that's awesome. That is that's just awesome. Um <clears throat> since we talk since we're in the old time, I'm gonna go to Georgia and uh one person that fascinates me is uh Jody Hamilton the assassin. What was he like? Jody was a tremendous talent. Uh not only was Jody a tremendous talent, but so was his partner Tom Ernesto. Uh that might have been one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Uh they were both very experienced and uh, my brother and I, we started there in 1970, and they were the tag team champions, and they they owned Georgia. I mean, you didn't beat the assassins in Georgia, and uh, we were young, and Dad, we were we were piggybacking off of the name that Dad had made there as a wrestler, and, and we got the experience of wrestling with them a whole lot, and. It was it was great. It was and we learned so much from those guys. They were so good. Uh, and Jody then wrestled for me in Southeastern when I started my company in 1974 in Knoxville. He was still living in Atlanta, and I talked him into coming up and wrestling for me on weekends, Friday and Saturday night. Friday night in Knoxville, Saturday night in some town that was close to Knoxville. He came. He was a pleasure to work with. I actually saw Jody for the first time in 30 years uh, this past May in uh, in Dothan, Alabama. They had a Continental Championship reunion event, an independent event that drew more than a thousand people. And I don't see. I don't think they do that much anymore. Uh, and Jody was there. I got to hug Jody's neck and spend some time talking to him. He is, in my estimation, one of the great guys in the history of the business and uh, was a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. He worked for me not only in Southeastern Wrestling, he worked for me in Continental Wrestling. He wrestled in a great program with Bob Armstrong. Uh, he wrestled as the Flame instead of the Assassin. And he and Bob Armstrong, I mean, tore the house down in night after night and city after city in the Continental area. Uh, great Great wrestler, great, great guy. That's awesome. I mean, uh, <clears throat> the fact of the matter is, as you know, his son was the referee, Nick Patrick. Um, what was it like working with him? Since I'm on, I'm just, I'm going to families and generations. So, what was Nick Patrick like? I, I don't remember Nick very well. I tell you, I only worked with uh, my experience uh, when I first started. Rob and I. 
And back in those days, the Charlie Smith was the head referee. And, and yeah. we were lucky enough to be working a lot of top matches. I don't really know when Jody's uh, son started and what years they were, but I do know that we were lucky enough to be wrestling in main events or semi-main events uh, back in the 70 when we had just started, been in wrestling. We hadn't been wrestling four months, six months, something like that. And most of the time, Charlie Smith, was the referee that that got our matches. He was the senior guy, and he, he'd been around longer, and he got those main event matches. So I don't remember Nick as much as, uh, as uh, is probably, certainly not as well as his dad, uh, and I guess these different ge- generation than I am too. So I can't tell you much about Nick, but I do know that uh, uh, Jody was a great guy, and, I'm sure his his son was just as good. Okay, yeah, I mean just um just phenomenal. Um and I mean just all these great Georgia talents. Um this is one um that I was just El Mongol. Oh yeah. I mean what was he like as a person and what was he had you and had you ever worked with El Mongol? No. No. Uh uh, and uh, but I watched him a whole lot uh, when I when I was a high school in high school uh, junior and senior in high school. El Mongo was one of the top guys in Georgia. Uh, and oddly enough, uh, his son is uh, is on my Facebook. He's a friend of mine on Facebook, and he he sends me messages and tells me how his dad is doing. His his dad is still alive, and uh, you know I would love to see him. I would love to be able to talk to him. Uh, he was a great talent, uh, and I don't know a whole lot about him because I was young and I didn't get the chance to. Uh, my dad obviously knew a lot about him because my dad owned owned that business at one time or owned a portion of it. Him and Ray Gunkles were partners uh, in Atlanta and that territory, and he knew obviously all the guys that worked there and. And I'm sure he had a great relationship with El Mongo, but I'm really, you know, I love to talk to his son. And occasionally his son will send me messages, and he's a friend on Facebook. And and I really, uh, I really uh, would love to see El Mongo. I'd love to see him. All right, and another one is just the Armstrong brothers. When uh, I on your time in the Georgia territory, did you know them as? Did you get to know them before they got in the business? And, and if so, how long had you known them prior to um, all four of them getting in the business? Oh, the I know those boys. I remember those boys in nineteen in nineteen seventy three. Uh, Bob came to wrestle for me in Southeastern Wrestling in Knoxville, and they lived with him. And I remember Brad, Brad, when he was probably nine years old, maybe. Eight nine years old, uh, Scott and those guys. Scott was really small. Uh, you know, he had a just a. It was like a step stat, a step ladder. You know, down from one height to the next to the next to the next. Uh, and I love those boys. They're like family to me. Uh, and and having been around them, and and their dad is one of the greatest of all time. And. Uh, and probably I had more matches with their dad maybe than any wrestler I ever wrestled in my career over over a 10-year span of time. Mm-hmm. And he was such a phenomenal talent that 
and and I love him. I love that whole family. Uh, I know his wife uh, very well, and uh, uh, Gail. Her name is Gail, and uh, you know they're listening out there, Bob and Gail. Uh, I miss you guys. Uh, I see Bob every once in a while. He's still doing it. He's still wrestling. He's uh, he's he's well into his seventies and maybe close to 80, and he is still going, and he still has a pretty darn good body. He is an amazing guy, amazing athlete. Let's just say, I, I mean, I'm a workout nut and all that good stuff, and just what you're saying about Bob, I hope when I hit 80, I'm in as good a shape as Bob Armstrong. Let's put it that way. Yeah, when I me hit. too. I, me too. I'm with you, man. I mean, uh, there's not many guys on the face of the earth got a better body than Bob Armstrong has. And uh, I, I worked out with him. Me and my brother worked out with him a heck of a lot in the early 70s. Uh, and he always had, in his apartment, before he moved his family to Knoxville, he had he had the, he had the bench, he had the, he had the the curl bars, he had everything you needed. It was like his own gym in one room of his apartment. And we would go in there and hammer those weights together. He was taught us so much about how to build your body and how to do that part of the business. And great guy, wonderful, wonderful guy, and uh, and, a, and a, just a, a phenomenal person, a phenomenal American is what he is, uh, was in the Marines, and Brian, his youngest son, went on to the Marines, and, you know, he, Bob is a, his, he's as good a man as there is in America, in my opinion. That's awesome. I mean, just uh, just seeing those kids grow up and all that good stuff, um, since we're on second-generation wrestlers, um, we talked about the Armstrong Got to go with uh, the son of Eddie Graham, Mike Graham. What was Mike Graham like? Great. Wonderful guy. Uh, spent a lot of time with Mike. Um, Dad had a great relationship with Eddie Graham. Pers- best of friends for many, many years. Uh, we visited Mike, uh, and Mike would come and visit us. Uh, Mike would come when I was in Southeastern Wrestling. Mike loved to come to Knoxville. He would just call me and say, Ron, book me. Book me for a weekend. Book me for this. Book me for that. And he just loved hanging out around us. We grew up, my brother and I, with Mike. And uh, we grew up with Eddie being like a dad. Eddie was almost just like a father to me. Uh, I just admired and respected Eddie maybe as much or more than any, any guy, any wrestler. He just, and he is a tough, tough you did not want to mess with Eddie Graham. He is one person, if you started saying who is maybe the meanest and and and, and toughest of all the people you know, I, I, I might put Eddie at the top. Wow. I mean, just amazing uh, with Eddie. And, I mean, uh, I think I read that Eddie had um, – and I'm fascinated with Eddie because also because I before I got an education I worked in juvenile justice and boys' homes and stuff like that fascinates me so I was really I was, that really captivated me his uh, philanthropy work as well as not only a fan but just as an admirer. Um, so yeah, I mean, you wouldn't expect it. 
You know, you wouldn't expect, you look at wrestlers, and a lot of people have a, they they don't realize that the wrestlers, are, some, some guys are just uh, beyond belief as, as to what they do for the, the community and uh, what they contribute. Eddie was a fine example of that. I mean, he established, personally established the Florida Sheriff's Boys Ranch in which underprivileged boys and guys that were young kids were in trouble and this was their last place to go uh and he went there to those camps and he not only did he paid to build the facilities he he provided the the programs for them to rejuvenate themselves and to rehabilitate themselves eddie graham was a phenomenal human being and uh and Mike, was same thing, Mike was just a great guy. We used to go uh, to the Bahamas and, and, and take planes. Eddie had his own plane, Lester Welch, my dad's uncle, my granddad's brother, Lester Welch, had his plane. And, and uh, we would fly into the Bahamas. Uh, Lester, his two sons, Roy Lee Welch and Jackie Welch, and Eddie and Mike and dad and me and rob and we would we would spend spend the weekend lobstering in the bahamas and eating lobsters together and going out on the boat all day and just uh, catching the lobster and doing the deal uh great times with mike i have great great memories of mike and eddie both that's wonderful um just the fact that the 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 the, the people uh mike graham and uh we're gonna kind of we're about to get the wind. We're gonna get to a wind down point. Um, ask one uh, last person, and I'm gonna turn it over to you to plug, and then I'm gonna turn it over back to Mike and Stoney with uh, roundabout questions. So, what were the the Briscoes? What were they like? Super. Uh, Jack Briscoe. Let's talk Jack first. Uh, Jack Briscoe, I mean, for those that may not know, Jack Briscoe was probably one of the greatest, maybe the greatest amateur wrestler of all time. He won three national championships. Uh, only match he ever lost, he lost one match in his amateur career, including high school, junior high, all the way up. And that was his, he was in the finals, I believe, for the national championship in his freshman year at Oklahoma. And, uh, and he's just a phenomenal wrestler. And believe me, I know I've been in the snake pit with him. And uh, Jack Briscoe is is he knows he knows his stuff. Uh, Jerry is a great guy. In fact, I just talked to Jerry Briscoe 20 minutes ago, or just before we got on the air. 20 minutes before we went on the air, about a a. Uh, charity event that they're having uh, at the old armory in Tampa on Tuesday night. And I told him I'm coming. I want to be there. And he was saying, Ron, that's great. We would love to have you, man. So uh, I still have talked to Jerry and Jack Briscoe. I consider to be a personal friend. I have great memories of Jack. Jack trained me a lot. Jack Jack rode me a lot uh, as an amateur. He was a tremendous wrestler, and I have I have had him ride me until I would drag myself to the edge of the ring and vomit in the floor, and he would drag me back in and continue. I mean, he was a he was a great great wrestler and a great athlete. All right, um, 
now that we've got this part done, I'm just going to go ahead. I'm going to let you plug. Do you have anything you want to plug, upcoming events or whatever, Ron? Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm hoping the listeners out there, are, 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 they are definitely getting more familiar. My numbers for my podcast, I call it the Studcast, is just growing every week. I've uh, uh, few weeks back i was uh, in the top 50 uh, to top 60 i guess it was in uh in all of uh, uh sports podcast uh you know and and i basically do what we've done here today well uh, you know i just talk history and what i did and what my dad did and what my granddad did i come from the oldest wrestling family and on on the planet and uh yeah if you'd like to uh, my website is uh tn stud that's Tennessee Stud stands obviously the it's abbreviation for the state of Tennessee. It's TNStud.com. Uh, my Studcast is on there. I have the gallery, and I have everything else that you have. And uh, I, I'm 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 uh, on Facebook, two locations: uh, Ron Fuller Tennessee Stud uh, or Ron Fuller Welch. Either one of those, uh, you can you can friend me. I've got thousands of friends obviously and i'm always looking to talk to people uh i'm on uh you can follow me on twitter if you want to ron fuller welch uh you can do instagram it's ron fuller welch uh same thing and uh i do uh lots of events uh i just did one uh just outside of montgomery actually last night so i do lots of autograph signings and i go to events and i greet people and i love meeting the fans the the old 80s fans and the old school fans they're the absolute best i mean and they just love it still to this day they always will and if they'd like to contact me contact me on social media sites uh go to the website Listen to the Studcast. I, in fact, my next Studcast uh, is going to come out on iTunes, iTunes and Stitcher and uh, Podcast Attic, uh, Google Play, wherever you find podcasts. If you, if you look for Ron Fuller Studcast, uh, I'm going to be talking about an actual experience of a personal friend of ours uh, when I was 12 years old. Uh, one of the biggest wrestling fans in Memphis, the king himself, Elvis Presley. I'm going to talk Elvis and all of my experience with Elvis as a kid. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what I do. That's what my podcast is all about. I don't have guests. I just talk my family's history, which is 93 years, four generations, and nobody's been around longer, biggest wrestling family on the planet. And, uh, and I just enjoy it. I really love it, and uh, and I enjoyed the show, guys. I love being on. I love doing these things, uh, and I got a pretty decent knowledge of, of pretty much everything, guys. I, we, I can talk to you about the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. It doesn't make any difference what the decade it is, and hopefully fans will give me a listen. Uh, that's uh, Ron Fuller, uh, Tennessee Stud, and uh, on Facebook, and uh just go to that Tennessee Stud site and and pull you up a Studcast. If you don't want to pick it up, you can pick it up uh, usually on Wednesdays off of uh, off of iTunes and all the other avenues. It's on the website on Saturday mornings. All right, uh, we're gonna flip to random questions. Uh, I'm gonna flip my we're gonna do we're just gonna rotate a series of questions. So I'm gonna flip it over to Mike, and then Mike will flip it to Stony, and then back to me. So we're gonna we're just gonna do a circle set of questions. So Mike, have at it. Hey, Ron, how you doing? Good. 
after Great. listening to the story. After listening to the stories, you you said your grandfather wrestled from the twenties until the fifties, correct? That's correct. Yes. How, how much memory do you have of that? How um, were you backstage? Were you just at home while he, they were on the road? Were you? Well, what, what kind of memories do you have of that? Oh, I have I have a lot of memories. Uh, my grandpa was a my grandpa was a character and. Uh, and he used to take me, I have memories of when I was probably eight, nine years old, he would take me, he had a big farm, big dairy in Yorkville, Tennessee, about 80 miles north of Memphis. He would take me to Memphis on Monday nights with him. And he was, he would drive down the middle of a two-lane road at 120 miles an hour. He only got over when somebody came. He had a siren on his car. He had a police light in his car. He had badges. If the cops stopped him, he would just whip out the badges, and the cops would look like, wow, what is that, man? And he'd say, that's from the governor, and you don't want to mess with me. You better let me go. I mean, he just, he was... He would so rattlesnake's mouth shut and throw him in his car and pull pranks on wrestlers. He had his own wrestling bear, first person to ever train a wrestling bear. Uh, he's just, you know, it was phenomenal growing up. Uh, I've grown up in a family that's, the, there's no family like mine. Uh, I, I have no doubt that if anybody could sit down and tell stories about their family, I'd be telling them long after everybody else ran out of stories. Yeah, yeah, I can surely believe it. Uh, quickly, before I head to Sony for a question, um, do you happen to have any kids that are wrestling now? Um, you're, you're passing the lineage on? I have a son uh, who has wrestled one match. Uh, he wrestled in uh, 2001 in Birmingham, and I trained him some, and actually my brother trained him some. And he wrestled there uh, in Birmingham. He didn't even know he was going to wrestle. I actually went to the ring, and I was supposed to wrestle, and he was sitting in the crowd, and I invited him to come up to the ring and and show him what he could do, and he actually got in the ring. He wrestled partners with uh, Bob Armstrong and uh, and and Brad. Uh, you know, it's a, uh, you know, so he, yeah, but he only had one match. You know, I did not, he did not pursue it like I did, my brother and everybody else in the family. And, I, you know, wrestling's changed dramatically. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy enough that he got his one match. That's good. As long as you pass the stories along to him, that's fine. <laughs> Tony, <laughs> you still there, Tony? I'm here. All right. Well, um, um, what I was curious about, and uh, well, we know that uh, as we've already uh, heard about and as, as history already shows, Ron has a, a very, very, very direct connection to Southeastern Championship Wrestling, very, very direct. But um, a lot of people may remember um, Ron as the Master Tennessee Stud teaming up uh, to try to win the NWA Southeast Tag Team Championships um, held by Arn Anderson and Jerry Stubbs. Now, as the story goes, uh, as history shows, uh, his partner, Robert K. Babe, injured, and you went through a bunch of tag team partners, including, get this, Andre the Giant. What was Andre like? And you have any interesting story maybe about Andre? Oh, 
I have more stories about I could do two hours on Andre. Uh and uh you know, Andre was just a fabulous and I'll give you a real quick story. First time I ever met Andre the Giant. I was in Tampa, Florida, it was nineteen seventy two. Uh he came in the door in the dressing room. He had that big old afro back in the days. I'd never seen him, I'd heard of him. And he bent down to come through that six foot eight inch door to keep from hitting his head. And when he straightened back up, he completely covered the door. And he sat down. I introduced myself to him, and I shook his hand, and my hand was lost. I couldn't reach across his palm. It was the biggest hand I'd ever seen. So I asked him in the conversation we had at the first meeting, I asked him, uh, he, he had a ring. He was married, and he had a ring finger on, the finger on his on his wedding hand. And his reading finger, and I said, uh, you know, how big, how big is your? He, he he knew what I was going to do. He couldn't speak English. He had a guy named Frank Valois that was managing him originally when he started making the rounds and all the territories. And Valois says, uh, you want to know how big his his finger is? I said, yeah. So he took his wedding ring off, and Valois had a silver dollar in his pocket. He would had this happen to him, I'm sure, so many times. He was prepared for it. Uh, and uh, I was uh, commenting on how big his hands were, his fingers were. And uh, Valois took that wedding ring, pulled out a silver dollar. He passed that silver dollar through that wedding ring. That's how big his his ring finger was. It was like, wow. I mean, and Andre and I, you know, we, I have I have hundreds of Andre stories. Andre is a great great, wonderful guy, uh, and a dear friend. I mean, we became closest friends. He worked for me so many times. We made so many trips together and had so many wonderful experiences together. Uh, someday I plan on, on my studcast, doing a pay show just on Andre because there, there's just so much information I have about Andre and people have no idea what type of guy Andre was, but he was a soft and gentleman. He was a very much a gentleman and soft-spoken. It was hard to make Andre mad, and I think God made him like that because you don't want to make a guy his size mad. <laughs> wow! Wow! Awesome! Awesome! Okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask another one before I toss it back to uh, to Will. Um, we like to kind of like try to be a little bit different, ask some odd questions on this show. Um, we like a lot of different things, and we talk about a lot of different odd things while we are watching wrestling together. Well, back in the day, you guys used to travel from place to place to place. I mean, travel together. Sometimes the travel wasn't the best, but since you had to travel, you had to stop and eat a lot. My question is, is maybe when you're passing through Georgia, Tennessee or whatever with, with some of the fellas, was there maybe one or two places that you guys always made sure that you like to stop to eat? Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, there were. Uh, you know, and you, you know, what you did is you traveled the same – you worked territories, so you worked uh, – it just to take Georgia as an example, on uh, on Monday night you worked Augusta, and on Tuesday night you worked Savannah, and on Wednesday night you worked Columbus, Georgia. 
on Thursday night, you work a small town. Friday night, you were in Atlanta. Saturday night, you were at Griffin. Uh, you work some spot show somewhere. And and when you go to doing that and you're passing those same places all the time, you always have places you like. Now, well, I'll just give you an example. And the example is Andre. Andre's favorite restaurant, he was, and he would always want you to, before you took him to the hotel at the end of the night, at the end of the trip, was a mm-hmm. Waffle House. He would go into Waffle House, and I have seen him go into Waffle House, and they would come to get his order, and he would take the first side of the order of the menu, and he would say, "I want that," and then and, and they would go, uh, "Well, what?" And he'd go, "I want that," and they would go, uh, "What are you talking about?" And he goes, "I want that," and uh, and then they would they would just be dumb. What he what which one of these? And then I would say, "He wants the all of them. He wants the whole menu." All of them, everything on there. And then sometimes if he was hungry, he would flip it to the back. He'd eat the breakfast and he'd eat the dinner at the same time. And he'd go, I want that. And then they'd have, they, you mean you want the front and the back of the menu? <laughs> so it's, he would eat at a table by himself because when they started bringing it, he would eat it sometimes faster than they could bring it. Uh, so... You know, everybody had their everybody had their favorite restaurants, and lots of times they were obviously buffets. You know, you're big eaters. Wrestlers were big eaters, and they they were looking for those buffets where they could go in there and eat their stomachs full. And uh, you know, Andre's Andre's buffet was a Waffle House. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. All right, before I turn it over to Will. Um, I want to let people know we are down close to the last 20 minutes. If, if, if there's anybody listening that has a question, you can hit us up 347-324-5735. That's 347-324-5735. Of course, if you're listening to this afterwards mm-hmm. uh, on demand, you won't be able to do that. But if you call now, you can call in and ask a question. So, if I see anybody, I'll let you guys know. But otherwise, I'm going to shoot this back over to Will. Hi, um, we just we just got talked about the uh, Greasy Spoon and just the uh, second generation toughness and all that. Um, one thing you mentioned Andre the Giant, but um, one question I got to ask with the, what was a Hulk Hogan like? Oh. I got great stories about Hulk, too. Hulk actually started for me. Uh, I had two Southeastern Wrestlings. I had a Southeastern Wrestling in Knoxville, and then I bought a I bought out the old Gulf Coast Wrestling, that, which was based in Mobile, uh, and I set up the company in Pensacola because I liked the beach area. And so uh, it was a... It was a, a great, a great uh, territory down there that we had, and uh, it was. And you were asking me, uh, and you were asking me about uh, who in the, who was it again? Hulk Hogan. Hogan, yes. Uh, Hulk, Hulk, uh, Hulk worked for me. He started his career. He tried to train in Tampa. They didn't like him. They were scared of him. Whatever the reason was, they broke his leg. He came back. He tried again. 
they called. I was running in uh, Pensacola area. Louis Tillet was booking for me, and Louis called me in Knoxville and says, Ron, I've got this big guy. He's huge. He's your height, and he's much. He's huge. He's big. He's got a lot of charisma. I think he's got some future. He wanted me to come and wrestle him in Dothan, Alabama. And I saw Hulk Hogan long before he was Hulk Hogan. His name was Bolia, Terry Bolia. And uh, I can't remember what name we used for him, but we took him in to wrestle for us. They would not use him in Florida. And I had a match with him, one of his first matches with him. And I had matches with him later in Knoxville and other cities. Uh, Hulk became a star. He created his first relationship with Andre. Andre got Hulk into New York. Andre got Vince Jr. At that point, it was Vince Sr. uh, to take uh, Hulk in there. And uh, and he changed his name to Hulk Hogan uh, and did all that. Hulk went from me. He came from Florida where they wouldn't book him. He worked for me in Pensacola for a few months. He started working some shows in Atlanta. And then he went basically to New York from there. And the rest is pretty much history. He was a... He was not a great worker because, and I don't, you know, I'm not knocking anybody. I don't knock people. Uh, He had great charisma, and he probably didn't get the training that he needed to have. He's big, and when you're big, it's harder for you to be able to do the things you need to do with your body as a wrestler. Uh, People probably don't realize that the bigger you get, the more difficult it is to drop kick and to do flying head scissors and and the leapfrog guys. Uh, some of those moves, I always tried to do them because uh, people my size didn't do them, and, and it's difficult to learn those things. So he was not, in my opinion, one of the great workers, but he was definitely a charismatic guy that, that you know, he, uh, he his, his success speaks for itself. I guess that's a good way of putting it. Awesome. That's great. I mean, uh, Definitely, Grace. All right, Mike, you're up. Hey, Ron. Um, this is a question I ask uh, most everybody that comes on the show or past wrestlers I've talked to or met in person. Um, on a day-to-day basis, over the over the many in-ring matches you've had, and then the road travel and sleeping on crappy hotel beds, how do you feel day-to-day? Every day, uh, kind of different. Is it day-to-day, or or in general, do you feel decent? Do you mean when you're doing all that traveling? No, I mean now that it's all behind you and you've had a lifetime of it. How does your body feel? Uh, I, I remarkably well. Uh, and the reason I know and uh, what really really brings it to my attention most is I, I still weigh. I weigh exactly what I weighed when I played basketball in college. Uh, about 238 pounds now. I'm thinner than I used to be in my in my heyday. I was in the 250, 260, sometimes 270 range. But now I've thinned down. Uh, I I've had several knee operations. Uh, I've had uh, I've got uh, my fifth lumbar has been bad for 30 years. Uh, I've I've had uh, collarbones uh, that were shoved out of my sternum and I've had injuries 
but I'm in a lot better shape than others. When I go to these wrestling reunions, there's one on the Gulf Coast in Mobile every year. And I come out of there seeing the guys in wheelchairs and, and how they, and they're, they're bent over and they can't walk. And, and, and my brother and I, we look at each other, and Rob's in remarkably good shape too and not suffering these permanent injuries. And we look at each other and shake our heads when we leave there and go, gosh, man, uh, how, how, how good God has been to us. He has really, really watched out for us. And, and I don't have problems. I, I, I have a few aches and pains every once in a while, but I still work out four times a week. Uh, I still uh, I still do some running. I, I, uh, I still live that physical lifestyle. I think that's important to keep you there. Uh, it's kind of like with Bob Armstrong. He still works out. He still does that stuff. He's almost 80 years old. I, I don't think if you stop that, I think that's where where the the deterioration begins. And and I've not stopped it, and I don't plan on stopping it for years, but. But I feel remarkably well. My brother does as well. I have a cousin named Jimmy Golden, great worker. Uh, he's he's had just had his knee redone, had to have it uh, done big time because he had hurt it many many years ago. And he actually wrestled last night in the town I was in, and he's in his late sixties. So you know we have a remarkably healthy family. That's good. That's good to hear. Um, actually, Sony has about got me talked into going to this thing in North Carolina in November called WrestleCade. Um, and I just sent, while you and Will were talking earlier, I, I sent back to your Facebook page a message uh, thanking you. And I knew uh, I knew Miss Diana was, was still on there. So I was thanking her for kind of helping you get set up with us before the show real quick and uh, for coming on and everything. And she asked if we were near Tampa at any time or if we were going up to WrestleCade. Um, our, our last guest, Dale Wilkes, is going to be there. Are you also scheduled in November, I think the 25th, if I'm not mistaken, to be in Winston-Salem? Yes. Yes. Yes, I am. It's my okay. first time there, too. Yeah. And okay. I, I will be there. And uh, I'm doing uh, I'm doing an interview, special interview with, uh, with Tom Pritchard and uh, – and some people, uh, for that part of it, I'm doing the autograph session. Uh, I'm not actually, I don't have anything to, that I'm going to do on the shows themselves, the matches themselves that are there, but I'm really looking forward to that event. That is probably one of the premier wrestling events of its type in the country. And my brother's been going there for several years because he has that WCW background and that WWE background. So, you know, this is my first time there, and I think a lot of that has to do with the stud cast, and I'm beginning to to rejuvenate my career uh, by doing the stud cast, and, and I've gotten a lot of attention lately in the past couple of months. And so, yes, I, I'm going to be at Russell K this year, and, heck, I'd like to see you guys there. If you all come in, you all be sure and come by, come by my booth area. If we don't see you, I'll shoot, I'll shoot you. It looks like we're going to WrestleCade, and second, the floor is yours. All right, there you go. I'm excited. I've been, uh, um, I know Will and I for sure have uh, have been uh, to um, the NWA Fan Fest um, in the past, and that's always a good time. And um, looking over the WrestleCade webpage. 
just a little bit earlier, I noticed that they already have a lot of guests uh, lined up for that. So um, perhaps I noticed the uh, Fire on the Mountain discussion, which that may be what uh, Ron is uh, talking about. I know Tom Pritchard is a part of that. Um, yeah, maybe. don't know that. So I don't know that, that 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 website off the top of my head, but I mean, you know, just look up Russell Cade fans and you can find out about that. That's going to be an awesome. It's like three, four days of of stuff. So the question I have, and, and we probably only, you know, really have time to come back around to Will maybe because I think we're close to the 10-minute mark. But I have to ask this question is my last question because it is going to – uh, feature me asking about one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. And this is about a time uh, the NWA Southeast Continental Heavyweight Championship. And uh, uh, storyline, uh, Freebird Michael Hayes is named the, champions, the champion of the belt. Uh, Dothan, Alabama, called to defend against you. Um, would love to know a little bit about uh, uh, that storyline and about Freebird Michael Hayes. Love me some Freebirds and Michael Hayes. Uh, yeah, great talent. Michael Hayes, great talent. Uh, Terry Gordy, great. Buddy Roberts, I mean, what a team. Uh, great concept. Uh, I, yeah, did wrestle him for the Continental Heavyweight Champion, and oddly enough, uh, it's one of my knee operations came out of one of those matches in which uh, he shot me out of the ring and I wasn't expecting it and I blew out a knee when I hit the floor. Uh, sounded like a shotgun. Uh, it went off when it ripped and uh, and it. But uh, later on, I won that championship back. Uh, and uh, yeah, Michael was a great talent. Uh, those guys had a great concept and a great team. Uh, they, and they had such a difference. The three personalities were totally different, and the three styles of wrestling that they had was totally different. Uh, Terry was that big, strong son of a gun. The Bam Bam, you know, he would give him that. Uh, Buddy, Buddy was a, a a scientific. He could move. He could he could get there. And then you know, Michael did his thing. I mean, he they, you know he he had a he was another one of those guys with charisma. Uh, I had some great guys work for me in Southeastern wrestling, continental wrestling, uh, some of the best. We trained, you know, we talked about Hogan earlier. Hogan came from me. Hogan came from me. Uh, Honky Tonk Man came from me. Uh, Arn Anderson came from me. Uh, uh, just it, there was a litany of guys that came through as young guys that we turned into stars. Uh, Michael and them. Michael is a Pensacola boy. That's where he's from. Uh, and you know we had that was that was the southeastern wrestling southern division was located in Pensacola, so he was around there all the time. And even if he wasn't working for me, he was working for Watts or wherever it was. He would show up quite a bit. And Michael, uh, Michael's a great guy, uh, great friend. I really like him, and he's a good dude. And uh, I think he has a great spot with where he's at now. You know, he's been there for many years. I guess up there working for Junior and Vince Junior, and and um. My hat's off to him, and, uh, you know, I really I really like Michael. A lot of respect for him. Nice, nice. All right, um, we are under the nine-minute mark, and what I'm going to do is this number keeps popping up, and I keep the last time I waited for it to come back around, 
um, and while it's still on me, um, I am going to hit this up and see if we have a actual caller. Um, I didn't want to kind of interrupt or anything. So let's see if, if we have an actual caller, if we can get them in maybe for a little bit of discussion. And then um, afterwards, Will, if you want to take us home um, for the end of the show, I want to tell everybody really, really quick, every Sunday on gwhnewsandnotes.blogspot.com. Okay, so let's see. Let's see. Let's uh, check this out. Um, all right. Do we have a caller on the line for Ron Fuller? All right, well, I would venture to say then that was probably just a listener. So, um, well, sometimes people like to call in to listen to the show. So um, I guess with that, um, if you are a caller wanting to talk to Ron, hang up, call back. I'll see it pop back up, and maybe we'll have time. But I'm going to go ahead and send it back over to Will for the last seven minutes or so. All right, the last question I want to ask is a uh, two-part question. Um, when you're working out, what's your favorite uh, exercise, weightlifting exercise to do, and your favorite musician and uh, favorite type of music? My favorite musician? Oh, yep. gosh, man. If I was going to talk about the, go back to the old days and the favorite of all time, uh, I'd say Elvis is right in there with him. Uh, and because I got to meet him, you know, and I, I, as a kid, I watched him work out in the ring and in my barn and where we had in my home, you know, he was a commonplace visitor and personal friend of, of my dad and, and my family. And, you know, I never got to talk to him much, but he certainly, uh, he's certainly probably, uh, gosh, uh, you know, I guess he's probably the first one-name star, maybe, that I can think of. You know, how many people are famous enough to get by with that one name? And Elvis was probably the first to do that. And being able to to know someone like that and being able as a 12-year-old boy to stand back in the shadows of that barn in Memphis and watch my dad wrestle and 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 shoot with Elvis. He never he never tried to teach him how to work, but he certainly did uh, show him how to how to do some things. And Elvis was really cool. He would uh, he had his entourage with him all the time, and he would call him into the ring. Dad would teach him a move, and he would say, "Okay, so and so, get in here. Let me show you how to do it. I want to I want to do it on you." And he would he would just go from one guy to the next to the next. He'd do that move on all of his entourage. He'd have them scream and holler, and you know he would hurt them a little bit. And then he'd uh, turn to Dad and say, "Show me another one. Show me another one." So you know, great experiences with Elvis. I'm a very lucky person to have been around some of the famous people that I have been around, and and uh, Elvis's. All right, he's pretty much at the top of the list when it comes to fame. You can't get much bigger than Elvis was, that's for sure. And what was that second person, second thing you wanted me to talk to you about? Your favorite uh, lift to do when you're working out, your favorite lift. Oh, I like I uh, I like just doing the, uh, the lats. I like doing the lat machines. Uh, I like doing them behind the neck and in front of the neck as well. And uh, it, I just uh, I do so many different types of things. I don't work out like I did 
as a young guy, I don't work like out like I did as a as a young guy because you know you you work for bulk uh, when you're young and I, I was uh, six six uh, I'm six nine so when you're tall you got to have muscle and and you got to have a lot of muscle in order to build that muscle you want to do your bench presses and you want to do your your pullovers and you you want to do your thighs you want to do your squats and you want to you want to do your deadlifts so you you've got all of those things but as you grow older and your body gets a little a little bit uh weary of those of those heavy weights and your joints don't handle things as well as you do then you change your workout now i do a totally different workout i do light weights and and more reps and and more sets and i try to still get that pump that you always get uh that you want to get uh but i try not to to compromise my joints and my health uh you you blow out something at my age when you're up there uh, in your 60s, then uh, when you blow out a uh, something, your back or whatever it may be, uh, it's it's really difficult then to to uh, to get back into the gym again. It's horrible. All right, and me, me being right. a fellow weightlifter, me being a fellow weightlifter, good stuff. All right, guys, we are hitting the three-minute mark. Um, not to interrupt, but real quick, we want to make sure that um, that we throw out the Studcast address. What is the address to go online to check out the Studcast? Uh, you go to tnstud.com. That's the website. Uh, obviously, uh, you can pick it up uh, everywhere that uh, podcasts are available, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, uh, Podcast Attic, uh, 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 it's 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 in Google Play wherever you know you go to get the, you get your iTunes I mean to get your podcast fix from and podcasts are a big thing nowadays it's under Ron Fuller the podcast itself if you go on iTunes or something like that is Ron Fuller Studcast pretty simple and you know I I really appreciate the opportunity guys to be on here with you guys and uh, it's been a pleasure for me and at the same time I just you know, I I, re, I I enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy this time. I enjoy being able to talk and tell the stories. It's a it's a thrill for me, and it's an honor. And and you guys do such a great job with what y'all do. And uh, to be invited on is is a real pleasure for me. All right, and I think the pleasure will will probably say the pleasure was definitely ours. Want to remind everybody every Sunday. Uh, you can catch this show every other Tuesday tipping point at gwhnewsandnotes.blogspot.com. Check us out on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash gwhtvtalk. We're down to a minute and a half. I am going to get out of here, but I am going to turn it over to Will to take us home once and for all. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we'd like to thank Ron Full of the Tennessee stuff for making his appearance tonight. A uh, very informative interview. Uh, very captivated with these stories. Uh, next week, um, the big guest, we're going to have uh, the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez. So next Sunday night, 7 p.m., look, look us up on what Tony said on the site and just be ready for a rocking night of um, old school interview. We had Ron Fuller tonight. We've had Dale Wills. Manny Fernandez will be a good one as well. So check us out and holler at you later.
And, Ron, we thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Ron. Thank you, guys. Um, appreciate it very much. All right. They can't just come and take it away from me. They ain't going to do nothing. Let's turn it off. Oh, do they? I tell you, I would love to. I know. Will is so, he seems like such a cool guy. I